morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Daniel. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Res Church. Welcome. We are in week 10 of the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to be looking at the church today. And uh, man, I thought that there's probably no better example of the, um, the way that Americans look at the church than this week because we found out that there was potentially going to be rain this weekend. I already had people telling me about how they were either not going to be able to make it to church or not be able to make it to Supercharge tonight, uh, which is our, our mentorship leadership program, uh, because, you know, it might be raining. And I just, I, I thought to myself, like, that is the most American answer I have ever heard. <laughs> you know, there could be some rain coming from the sky. Therefore, like, whoa, man, I don't know if I could. So be it. All right. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's look at the creed. So we are in a... Uh, portion now of the, the creed where everything kind of changes in week 10, and that's because everything up until now, the first nine weeks of the creed have essentially been about the nature of God and the work of God. And so nine weeks now of really uh, things that we're focusing on God and kind of this vertical relationship between man and God. And then in week 10, we now begin to look for kind of the rest of the creed at the horizontal implications, the human implications here on earth of the truths that we've covered. And, and, and so the creed is established in the same order that we see uh, oftentimes in scripture. <laughs> Ephesians is, is similar. The first three chapters of Ephesians are really all about the nature of God, the work of God, the character of God, the goodness of God. And then you get to chapter four and it begins to say, now because of these things, let's look at the earthly implications, the human implications of all of these truths. The creed is the same way. It starts this way. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's all about God. It has nothing to do with you or me. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. All of these things are about God. They're not about us. You know, it's interesting that the more you read the Bible, the more you realize you're a very small character in the world. <laughs> and they get to week 10, and we have this phrase. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, before you get really freaked out about this word Catholic, uh, it actually just means universal. The word Catholic the lowercase c, just simply means universal. It comes from the Greek word katholikos, katholikos, deserved from kath and holos, which means throughout the whole or universal. So simply, the Catholic church means the universal church. The idea that the Bible establishes that there is one church. You realize there's only one church, correct? It's not res. <laughs> there's only one it is the church, those who worship Jesus Christ, unified by the blood of Christ from the cross and his resurrection. We're one church. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what we've done 
since the moment the church was created, how we have allowed sin and divisiveness to come into what is supposed to be a unification of the church. We'll talk a little bit about that. And that's not to say there aren't bad churches. That's not to say there aren't unbiblical churches. There are all of those things. But there is, a t- there is supposed to be one church throughout the whole world, throughout all of history, because there is a day coming where we're going to stand before Jesus, worshiping him in heaven together, side by side with every other person who worships Jesus. One church. So we've talked about these, uh, a lot of what's talked about in the, in the creed and a lot of what's talked about in the first three chapters of Ephesians is this, uh, what we would call the triune nature of God. The idea that God is three, but he's also one. And yes, it is a bit of a mystery. And yes, it's a, a little bit of a head scratcher. We don't fully understand the Trinity. The idea that, that God is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's all three. They're distinct persons. They have distinct personalities. They have distinct will. They have distinct things about them. And yet, they're one. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that it's true. I don't actually have to be able to explain something to know that it's true. It's actually the opposite. Once I know it's true, I can try to explain it. I know that it's true. But these truths about how uh, God is formed about how God exists in these three at one and in this perfect relationship between the three that submit to one another, that care for one another, that, 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 that interact together. It is essentially the, the perfect example of what community is, is supposed to look like. And we, you and I, being created in the image of God that is called the Imagio Dei. That if you turn all the way back to Genesis 1, 27, you'll see that we were created in the image of God. We were created for relationship. We were created for relationship with God, but we were also created for relationship with one another. That's why in the garden it says it's not good for man to be. Okay, I'm, we're coming out of COVID still, so let me remind you, it is not good for man to be. Oh, man, I'll listen to some of y'all. Some of y'all alone. Woo! So that's a truth alarm. Thank you. We were created to be in relationship with other humans. And what we're going to see is that the only way that you and I could, could, can adequately reflect the character of God and the attributes of God is with other people because alone you don't have anyone to and and we're gonna we're gonna walk through what the Bible says about relationship and how we're supposed to be interacting with other people and you cannot do it alone it is impossible and so the only way we reflect this type of reality the reality of what uh, the Trinity is and all these things we've read in the Apostles Creed for the first nine weeks is to form a community of loving relationship And, and look having family helps but the Bible will actually put a lot more emphasis on the church, the church. Now, it's not to say you don't have responsibilities in your family, but some of us will have family, some of us will not have family. Every one of us will have brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of us is called to a church family. Listen to me. If you're listening to this later, it's on, the, it's on YouTube or you're, you're, you're online somewhere and you're like, well, not me. Yes, every person was called to a church. Every person is called to a church. 
Jonathan Lehman says this about the definition of what a church is, which is really what we're investigating today. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, what I want to do is um, I want to start with this. Uh, the church, by its nature, because it's made with messy people, is going to hurt you at some point, okay? In fact, if you've not been hurt by a church, you're either lying or you just haven't been here very long. <laughs> like, if, you have, if you've been in church for 10, 15, 20 years and you've not been hurt by the church, man, I don't know what to tell you. I, my guess is that you're jumping in after all the songs are, are done, slipping into the, the last pew for a few minutes and getting out early. That's about the only way the church is not gonna hurt you. And, and the reason for that is it's made up of you. <laughs> there, there are no perfect churches. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. There, there's no such thing as a perfect church because if there was a perfect church, you and I couldn't join it. <laughs> If it were perfect and then we showed up like, well, there went that one. We had a streak going. It was good while it lasted. Now you're here. It's messy. And, 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 and we have to embrace the messiness. Like you've got to embrace the awkward of human life or you're never going to grow. And if you're looking for the picture perfect Instagram experience, let me just tell you, it's a lie. The cake is a lie. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about church. And what I want you to do is I, I want to, we're just going to look at uh, New Testament analogies about the church. Now we know that Jesus talked about building his church on Peter. He said, Peter, you're going to be the rock that I built my church upon, one of the first apostles. But I want to look at three ways that the, the New Testament is going to describe the church. So not just Acts where it talks about all the logistics of church and everything. I want to look at these three things. And from those three things, what we're going to see is this consistent theme in three analogies about the church in the New Testament that tell us what church is supposed to major on, what it has to have, the essential parts. Because churches are very different. There are lots of lovely churches worshiping the Lord all around the world that look very, very different, and that's okay. Hear me, that's okay. Here's number one. Number one, the church is described as a flock of sheep. A flock of sheep. Here we go. John 10, 14 through 16 says this. I am the good, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And then Peter is going to take this example that Jesus has expressed to him when he's following Jesus, and he's going to use this same analogy later as he's writing in 1 Peter to explain the church. He says this, so I exhort the elders among you. So now he's talking to church leadership. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now, let me just tell you that after uh, the last political stuff and the last election cycle, which went really well and was peaceful and content for everyone, right? 
Uh, and then COVID and the, and, and, and the government mandates and all this, because we felt really good about the government telling us what to do, right? <laughs> the idea that you and I are a bunch of sheep is, is oh, does that have an ego impact? Sheep, I'm not, in fact, I mean, there's all these phrases out uh, in the world right now, right? It's like, uh, what do lions care about the opinions of sheep? And, and, and every time someone says that, they're the lion. Jesus is the lion of Judah. You're the sheep. Okay? Or when someone does it, uh, you know, they're contrarian, they're like, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to listen to the experts or the government or the this or that. Those people are a bunch of sheeple. <laughs> right? Because it would be insulting to be a sheep. It is, and we are. Amen. Hear me. It is, and we are. Here's the good news about being a sheep. Here, you ready for it? There are only three animals in the Bible, sheep, goats, and wolves. You want to be a sheep. <laughs> Jesus is a lion. There are no extra lions. It's not a pack. It's a wolf pack of one. Just Jesus. You either get to be a sheep, a goat, or a wolf. Goats are unregenerate people mixed in with the flock. They're in our churches, they're in our small groups, they're in our lives, they talk about Jesus, but there's a day coming where they're gonna stand before God and they're gonna look at Jesus and he's gonna say, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me. You do not wanna be a goat. You don't want to be a wolf. Wolves are those that stir up division and they stir up controversy and they're there to attack the church. They're there to attack the sheep. They're there to do Satan's purposes. You do not want to be a wolf. Elders are called to shepherd the sheep. They're called to shepherd the goats. It's not an elder's job to figure out if you're a goat or not. It's Jesus' job. And elders are called to kill wolves. And we kill wolves. We are here to kill those that would stir up dissension and stir up gossip and stir up trouble and strife and false doctrine and preach a false gospel in this church. And we'll do it gently and then we'll do it firmly and then we'll do it not very gently at all. We will drag you out by the cuffs of your pants and not apologize because the Bible tells us to do it. You want to be a sheep. Amen? Amen. All right, now that we've established that we're all sheep, what you need to know about sheep is this. They're dumb. I'm one, I'm, it's just the way it is, and they bite. <laughs> They're nasty little suckers sometimes. But the thing about sheep, hear me, is safety is in the flock with the shepherd. And safety does not exist apart from the flock and apart from the shepherd. And so for all of the, the conversation that we want to have about the goodness of God to leave the 99 and go after the one, he has to go after the one because where the one is is quite dangerous. You don't want to be alone and separated from the flock as a sheep because you actually don't have any defenses because you're a sheep. The shepherd is the defense. The flock is the defense. So you're a sheep. Number two. So we're a flock. What else does the Bible call the church? He calls it a body. And I want to read this to you and explain this. Body. So a flock, secondly a body. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read 1 through 15 and 25 through 27 because it's a, the whole chapter is about this analogy that the, the church is a body. It says this, 
Verse one, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Jump down to 25. That there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Listen to this. This Underline this if you're in your Bible. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You need to underline that because listen to me. In your body, if your kidneys start to malfunction, the rest of your body doesn't go, well, that sucks. <laughs> Hope you figure it out. Praying for you, brother. The whole body suffers. I mean, you can have a hangnail and you feel like your whole body is suffering. This, these things do not happen independently of one another, and we're gonna talk about the implications of that in just a second. And then third, third analogy. So we have a flock as one analogy of the church. We have a body as another analogy of a church. And here's the third one, a bride. Ephesians 5, 22 through 30 says this. Wives, this is everyone's favorite verse, right? Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All of a sudden, the text changed. I just want you to see this. The church went from being an inanimate object to being a bride. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that's you and I, the church, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Jesus is cleansing us, the church, with scripture so that he might present to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So now we just mixed the analogies and went back to the second one. A flock, a human body, and a bride of Christ. These are the three different examples, and they have these three attributes in common, and I want to I spend some time on these three things because all of these have this in common. Here's the first one. Priority. Priority. The flock is life. If you are a sheep, the flock is life. It's family. It's safety. This is why in the New Testament there are no solo Christians. You will not find an example of one. There's no Rambo Christian just running off with a giant machine gun in his Bible, right? Woo! It, it does not exist. It's always in a loving community, always in a biblical community. Why are sheep separated from the flock considered a risk? Because they have no defenses outside of the shepherd and the flock. 
Why does the Bible put so much emphasis on leadership of the flock? Because Satan is actively trying to attack you. Church is primarily two types of gatherings in the Bible. A very big one in which we all come together and very small ones in homes over meals. And we gather for all sorts of reasons. We certainly gather for the proclamation of the word and for rejoicing and praising our savior, but we gather for encouragement. We gather for shepherding. We, we gather for discipleship. We gather because we're supposed to depend on one another. And listen, if you can consistently miss your gatherings, whether it's the Sunday gatherings or your small gatherings, and not feel the difference, then I just want to encourage you that there is more to the gathering than you're getting right now. You hearing what I'm saying? If you can consistently miss gatherings, whether they're the Sunday morning gathering or small group gathering, and it doesn't really have any impact on you, then I just want to encourage you. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm trying to encourage you that what you've experienced in gatherings thus far is not actually to the standard that the Bible is called. Like, there's more to the gathering than you're getting. Because when I miss getting to see you guys, it has an impact on me. When I miss getting to, to get together with my small group for more than like one week, I'm just like, man, I'm, I miss those guys. It has an impact. And if it doesn't have an impact, then we're not yet doing it right. There's more to it. And it can get better. Uh, I, I grew up in church. And man, I got to tell you, I hated church. I hated church. There was nothing worse than church. Church was long. It was Sunday morning, and then it was more Sunday morning, and then it was Sunday night, and then it was Wednesday night, and that's if there weren't other special meetings to go to. And most of the people uh, were not very friendly to me, although in, in reality, probably most of them were friendly to me, but the ones that hurt me stood out. Does that ring a bell? You know the funny thing about when people leave church because they get hurt is uh, they have this tendency to really, really recognize the role that other people played in them getting hurt and really forget the part they played. You ever, you ever, you ever hear about that? I've never heard about a church hurt story where um, one person was entirely blameless. Have you? It just, it's very rare. It happens. But for the most part, like we have problems and then we get hurt, real hurts, real abuses, uh, real, real issues. And we have this tendency to go, man, I, we don't do this everywhere else. We do this in a lot of other places. Let me give you an example. Um, we don't look around and say, hey, there was a, I had a bad relationship one time, so I'm never going to have a relationship, and I'm never going to get married, I'm never going to date again. We just go, well, that was a bad one, right? I should, I should learn my lesson and try some things differently. But we, ha we do sometimes have a tendency to do that with church. Like I had this one experience in 1983, and it was bad, and so, you know, church just doesn't work. The priority of church in America no longer matches the priority of church in the Bible. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And, and I, don't, I don't know the exact path to get back there, but I'll tell you that I've, I've studied, there's no subject that I've studied more in the last eight years than church. 
Man, I have, I've spent so much time studying church. And the reason that I've spent so much time studying church in the last eight years is a couple of things. One, some of that was a, a, a real growing church uh, eight years ago that was, was exploding in growth. We were trying to figure out discipleship. And then there was a church merger where we spent a ton of time studying church mergers and trying to figure out the, how to make that work. Um, and, and churches look so different in terms of sizes and styles that we were studying, like what works and why do those things work and why do they work for those people and not for us? So just, just hours and hours and hours, m- probably months of time at this point and a and hundred books studying church. And here's what I want to tell you about church, about the priority of church, and that's this. The rubber meets the road. All of the truth in, in the Bible and all of the uh, potential spiritual growth that you would have as an individual actually touches the road at church. Because none of, uh, 95% of the things in the Bible about how the truth of God actually changes what we do day to day all has to happen with other people involved. And generally speaking, it needs to happen with other people that we don't really like. That we wouldn't maybe naturally choose. And that's what church does. When you come together in church, you didn't get to choose everybody that, that came today. God did. In fact, when you seek out a church with nothing but people like you, what happens is you, you come to church, you come to relationship, and then all of a sudden, all of the truth about God and how he works and how that, the implications of that should flow into human relationships become real. They're not theory anymore when you walk in the door. And so there should be no greater importance for our growth spiritually than church. There's nothing. And so I grew up in a, in a family where we were, we were not allowed to participate in any activity if it occurred on a Sunday morning. Anybody else? A couple of you? Like, I wrestled for something like six years and never went to a wrestling tournament because they were all on Sunday mornings. I was the greatest practice wrestler ever. <laughs> At some point, I was like, I'm giving this up. This is terrible. <laughs> Imagine practicing football only and never playing in a game. That was, that was me. That was me. Why? We refuse to let something take priority over the assembly of the saints. Because the Bible said it was important. So we we're going to treat it as if it was important. Priority. And yet, like, it, it, we just know that it's slid. We know. We, we know that getting into a community group is probably the single most important thing that you're going to be able to do in the life of this church. After you accept Jesus, if you really want to grow, you're going to get in deep with some people who begin to really understand you and know you, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take a time commitment, it's going to take a long time, and like, so we know, and we've consistently said for six and a half years, that if you really want to grow, the number one discipleship function you can do is get in a small group, and we have maybe 50% of the church in a small group. Yep, that, that was, a, was a little harsher than I wanted it to be. Um, it's an opportunity for about 50% of you (laughs) to take another step forward in your walk with Jesus. Why is it so important? Because if people don't know you, then you can just kind of live a lie. When people don't know you, you just say, how's everything going? Oh, it's going great. It's totally not going great. (laughs) You got to get in group. 
Tonight, um, our, our supercharge, normally it's one hour, once a month. One hour, once a month. We ask our group leaders to come to that so we can pour into them. We get about 50% of them. One hour, once a month. Why? It's not a priority. It's just not a priority. Right? Go back to church a second time. Ah! Listen, you should have grown up in the 80s. <laughs> Lived there. All right, number one, priority. Number two, unity. Okay? What do we see in these uh, examples? Unity. The flock has unity. They're not perfect, but they have unity. They stick together and they know they got to stick together. What do the body parts have in the analogy of the body? They have unity. Why? Man, you're not going to take your foot and be like, listen, you offended me last week. You need to leave. It's your foot, right? These are essential things. And, and, and I understand that unity is hard. Like, like we are learning to love one another, amen? Like it's a process to learn how to love one another. But the Bible talks about that it is the way that you and I, listen, the Bible says that the way you and I love one another in the church is actually the proof that we're Jesus' disciples. So if you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, The, the Bible says that the way that you love one another in the church is the proof that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, how the world's gonna know that you follow Jesus. And the, and the reason that it says that is it's hard to love you. Is it not hard to love people that are different than you or that might offend you or that, you know, the person that has that one persnickety personality? I know for many of you it's me. Um, <laughs> And it's kind of hard to, to, to love that person. How hard is it to love someone that's hurt you? And yet the Bible would say that we were called, not just to forgiveness, to love the people in church with us so that the world would know that we're following Jesus. Because if you're not following Jesus, do you have any reason to love someone that hurt you? No. Do you have any reason to hurt, love people that are different than you? No. Do you have any reason to just continually forgive people? No. It, it is the proof of the blood of Christ. It's what unity points to. And the Bible says that everyone in the church is essential. Everyone in the church is essential. And that when any of you, say me. me. When any of you are not taking the spiritual gifts that God gave you at the moment of salvation and using them for the edification of the body, that the body suffers. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Because in, in most churches in America, 20% of the people actually serve somewhere. 80% of them don't use their spiritual gifts to edify the body at all. And so you want to know why churches aren't healthy? The Bible says that if one of you, if one of the parts of the body is not actually using their gifts, the body suffers. So yeah, if I go to a church and 80% of the people aren't, your church is gonna have a tough time being healthy. You're, listen to me, you're gonna have a tough time feeling engaged and like you're part of the body if you're not actually using the spiritual gifts that God gave you for the edification of the body. This is rocket science, right? I'm blowing minds. So we, we take the gifts that God gave us and we use them. Where? Wherever. You jump in the trench. You start working. You'll figure it out. I have never, ever, ever seen 
a Christian leave Christian community and grow in holiness? Ever. 44 years, never seen it happen. I've never seen a Christian leave godly biblical community and grow in spiritual maturity. Grow in accountability. Grow in a love for Jesus. It's never happened. Every single time I've seen someone distance themselves from the community of Christ, they've gotten isolated, they've gotten hard-hearted, they've gotten cold-hearted, they've gotten bitter, they've gotten a little angry at the world. So we can point at all of the flaws in the church, and there are lots of flaws in the church, but it's a whole lot better than the alternative, amen? Now listen, you can get hurt in church. You're going to get hurt in church. Let me just say it that way. You will get hurt in church. You probably have already been hurt in church. You're going to get hurt again in church because sheep bite. They have teeth. I am messy and sinful, and so are you. And we're going to hurt each other by trying to do life together. Comes with the territory. We have a church body so that we can try to live out the gospel with one another. And that, what that means is we're going to be called to extend unmerited grace and mercy to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the only reason that you're going to get called to extend that is they're going to hurt you. <laughs> like if they, if they were perfect, you'd never have to give them any grace. If they were perfect, you'd never have to give them any mercy. If they were perfect, you'd never have to forgive them. They're not perfect. All of those things are going to be common in the life of our church and any church that you go to. And so, so here's what happens in, in a lot of examples. Let me, let me just explain practically why this matters so much. So, so you, you're, you're in a church and someone hurts you and it's a real hurt, it's a real harm. They do something, I don't know, they offend you, they betray you, they slander you. Not that this is whatever happened in church. They gossip, whatever. And instead of embracing the awkward part of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel that's super hard, we just leave that church and go to another church. And then I get hurt at that church, so I leave that church and I go to another church. And then after a while, I'm like, church just doesn't work, so I'm gonna be less and less and less and less engaged. I'm gonna sit in the back row, I'm gonna come in late, I'm gonna leave early, I'm not gonna get involved anywhere so I don't get hurt. And then I go, you know, church isn't doing anything for me, it's just empty. I get nothing out of it. You're right. You're doing it wrong. Instead, when you get hurt, when you are wronged, the gospel compels us to extend unmerited grace. They, they didn't earn it and they don't deserve it. You don't forgive someone because they deserve it. Are you kidding me? Man, if that's the formula that we're living by, you and I are in trouble. If that's the formula we're living by, we don't even understand the gospel. Instead, we are called to turn into that pain and that hurt and extend forgiveness and extend grace. And it is actually the recipe for spiritual growth. That's how transformation happens. In the context where there's mistakes and there's hurt and there's sin, when they are responded to with forgiveness and grace and mercy and humility and love, we grow. It's hard and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And listen, you don't want to do it. Like I can tell you right now, I've talked to a bunch of people. They don't want to do it. I don't want to do that. I know. I know. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. 
It is so worth it. Take it from someone who ran from it and then runs back into it because it is worth it. If I surround myself with no one or if I surround myself with just this tiny group of friends that make me feel very comfortable, I can pretend that no one can hurt me because no one's allowed to challenge me. I'll never be required to live out the gospel. That's not church. That's like a witness protection program or something, <laughs> right? Where you live some fake life distance from every, every real thing. The gospel is not about your comfort. It's about your, it's not about your, 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 it's not about your comfort. It's about actually your contentment. We become truly satisfied when we begin to really sink into the gospel. It begins to change our lives. Not our life circumstances, but how we navigate those circumstances. American Christianity has become de- dominated by this idea of comfort. I'm just from online church to short fast services to the music we like to our favorite preachers to nice neat experiences that can fit in a little box. Get out of there and get on to the rest of my life. Because once it gets uncomfortable, boy, I gotta I gotta leave. I gotta go somewhere else. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. He's calling you to holiness, and in the process of that, you learn real satisfaction. Happiness is fleeting. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Happiness is dictated by your circumstances and all sorts of external factors. We get into church, and it's like one odd comment from somebody, or one perceived slight, or one tough conversation, or one rebuke of sin, one confrontation, one conflict. Man, American Christians are out the door. Oh, I no longer feel led here, pastor. Oh, you mean you got confronted in your sin? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? It's, it's humbling. Hey, guess what? It happens to me all the time. It's a good thing. Yeah. Do you, you know why? Do you know you were never made to jump from church to church? It's actually a pretty intense process to take a body part out of one person and put it in another person. It's not a thing you do weekly or monthly, right? Like it's, it's done with a great deal of care and the possibility of rejection and all kinds of complications and everything else. You don't just take a liver out and go, you know what, we're gonna give it to this guy today. I think he's feeling lead over here now. No, no, it's serious. And the third thing is this, intimacy. So we talked about priority, we talked about unity, but intimacy being truly known is, I think, the most important. And I want to sit on this for the rest of our time is intimacy. Intimacy is just an absolutely lost art in our culture. But you can't look at the flock, you can't look at the body, and you certainly can't look at the bride and not understand the implications that the Bible is making toward intimacy. Being known, being truly known. In fact, our culture is so bad at this that I've recently seen people trying to exegete uh, the the relationship with Jonathan and David and say, well, I think they were actually gay because of how close they were. And I'm like, have you never seen an intimate, like, what? It's like, do you not have any friends? Tell me you don't have any friends without saying you don't have any friends. Increasingly, our culture is losing the ability to develop intimate relationships. Do you know it's actually a, a thing that's happening all over America right now? Some of it is a sign of the time, some of it's COVID, some of it's online relationships and everything, but it's happening every, everywhere we go. You have relationships that are 100 miles wide and an inch deep. And no, you're not really known. In fact, there was a study that um, they, they went to over 700 experts and therapists and began reviewing all these case files. So what they found was that most people were starving for meaningful connections. 21% of those surveyed believe they have no one in their lives whom they can be authentic with. 
29% of those are not satisfied with their ability to open up to people who they enjoy being around. What's more, 46% admitted, actually admitted to actively sabotaging their relationships to avoid intimate connections. We as a society have lost the ability to build intimate relationships. And we're scared by them. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. You were created for it. At the core of your humanity is a need to be fully known and still accepted. It's why the gospel is so beautiful. To be fully known, everything about you, every dark thing, every sinful thing, every secret, and Jesus says, I love you and I died for you anyways, I knew about all of it. We're a culture that doesn't even understand how to build these anymore. Everything about our culture right now pushes you toward isolation, to living a life of deception. You have this pressure now from the outside world to live a life where you're perceived to be different than you really are. Instead of living a life that is just authentic, it's about appearance. Instead of about vulnerability, it's about guardedness. Think about this. Um, in order to have intimate relationships, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have very small groups of people. Doesn't matter how big your church is, you're gonna have very small groups of people. Jesus had about 500 or so followers that saw him after the resurrection and recognized him because they had followed him at some point. 500 people. But of that 500, he only had about 70 or so, somewhere between 70, maybe 120, that were actively following him all throughout his ministry. And of that group, he actually only had 12 disciples that went with him everywhere. And of that 12, he only had three that were really close. They went with him to the garden. They went with him to the mount when he was transfigured. So of all of those people, Jesus had three really close friends. And we, we can learn from that. You're not going to be incredibly deep and intimate with every single person that you meet. It's just not gonna happen. You're gonna have a close group of people. It's gonna take time to get there. You're gonna have to build those relationships. And from there, again, there'll be kind of concentric circles. And listen, if church to you is a gathering you show up to mostly every week for about 90 minutes and just disappear, you're never gonna build those things. It's going to take vastly different work to, to develop those things. And here's the thing, and I've actually had to correct this perception with some people. Unfortunately, I will not be in those three for every one of you. I've had people come up after sermons and be like, Pastor, I need you to call me three times this week and hold me accountable. I'm like, hey, I love you. I don't even know your name. You didn't wear a name tag. That's why we have these. Probably not gonna be me. I, I, listen, I would love to be that three for every one of you. Outside of the boundaries of physics, time and space, I would love to do that. I love doing it. Discipleship is my favorite thing to do. Like sitting down with people and just growing and learning and being, I love it. I just, I, everyone has a limit. You do too. But you better find your few. You better work through building relationships in which you can be known. And there will be false starts and there will be people that it doesn't work out with. I get it. But there's a roadmap for this. And here's the roadmap. I want to walk you through what we're supposed to be doing here in church, whether it's in the gathering on Sunday morning or in a small group, the Bible will give us 59 one another's. 59 one another's in the New Testament of how you and I are supposed to be working out these, this vertical truth of God in a horizontal fashion in relationships. And I'm gonna walk through them with you. 
very quickly. (laughs) Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another five times in the book of John. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll save that for later. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to one another. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. It is our job, you and I, to stir each other up into love. So if you have created a church experience in which you sneak in and you sneak out and you you lack engagement and you refuse to put in the proactive work, you're going to have a very difficult time stirring one another up to love. Love each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. That sounds nice and vulnerable. Everybody likes a good time. (laughs) Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Or I had to put that in there. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Love one another six times in 1 John. You cannot do these things in isolation. 59 commands of how to treat one another. It's tough to do that from your couch. Leads us back to these three things. The church and the way the church is described, the communion of the saints, it's intended to have a high priority, a call to unity, and a deep intimacy. And I'm gonna break a couple rules for the next minute or two. I, I, I generally have a pastoral rule that when I use an example about something that's going on in the church, it's either past tense or that person left, and so then I can talk about it, and I don't have to worry about them being offended, but I'm just gonna break those rules today. So do, my, do your best to like, hear the example and not go find the person, okay? Yes? <laughs> well, we got the ground rules? Yeah. Cool. Um, let me just, I just want to talk about some examples of people in my life. They're in the three, they're in the 12, right? They're, they're, they're in these, these concentric circles and, and why they matter so much to me in order to try to practice the one another. So there's a, there's a, a guy in church that have, he and I have been growing closer and closer in relationship over the course of the last six and a half years. His name is Don Van Sickle. And Don and I uh, met each other about seven years ago. And probably for the first two years, um, Don really didn't like me. I, I could be shortchanging that. It could be three or four years. Anyways, 
And I gave Don excellent reasons not to like me. Mainly, I was a, how do I say this in a PG way? A donkey. Use the King James interpretation. (laughs) And so Don and I became uh, close friends through a couple of things. One, doing life together where uh, we had to go through tragedies and painful experiences both in our own lives and in the life of the church. Um, And we had to go through hardship, we had to go through storms, we had to go through difficulties and, and, and realize that we had a commonality in Christ that we had a heart for seeing the church grow. And so it was a desire for that. And then here's the second thing that really helped us to grow together. And we just, we found this out over time because you got to spend time with people if you want to grow with them. We found out that we both were absolutely terrified that we would end up like some of these other fallen pastors. Because if it could happen to them, why can't it happen to me? And so we we would watch um, moral failures, whether it was on the national scale or here locally, and, and it would terrify us. Like what is in them is in us. Amen. And so it, it just began to burn in us this desire to be as open and honest and vulnerable as possible with one another because, man, we don't want to end up there. I want to finish well. And so we begin to grow a relationship where we can just have, be very blunt with each other and, and enjoy talking through the difficulties of life and church leadership. Um, there's a guy here in church right now that I've walked with for about four years off and on. He's in his um, third I think third bout of recovery from sexual addiction and uh, drug addiction. And over the course of the last four months, I have probably, this is, I'm not exaggerating, I've probably traded a thousand text messages with him. In fact, I think I've texted him more than my wife. And I've just spent countless hours with him as he has tried to navigate it because now what he's dealing with is he's trying to walk out of this for the third time. He's, he's dealing with all of the devastation that his sin has created. And so it's one thing to turn from your way. It's another thing for you now have to deal with the implications of your behavior. And it has been a roller coaster for him. And he's just taking gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. And, and listen, it hurts me. Like it, like it hurts me. It keeps me up at night. It gives me this angst. Like it, it will bring me to tears. And listen, that's actually how it's supposed to work. Like if I could hear what he was going through and if I could experience what he was going through and be like, huh, Sucks to be you. It wouldn't be the church. It wouldn't be the church. And so I'm, I'm just walking through absolute chaos in this guy's life. And, and, and it's what the church is called to do. That's what you are called to do. If I went and saw a therapist right now, they would tell me I am way too emotionally invested. And I would tell them, no, I'm in church with him. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I got another guy who's coming through recovery again for the second or third time and just coming out of sexual and substance addictions and just desperately wants to get off the roller coaster of falling into sin. And so we're just walking through being brutally honest, trying to figure it out. I have a friend that is in just heavy sexual addiction right now, completely ruined his life, ruined his family, ruined his career, ruined everything about his life. And in moments of vulnerability, he'll talk to me about it. He'll pop into church on the back row, listen for a little while and pop out, and he's not ready to really work on it yet. You know what? I'm walking with him and I'm waiting and I'm praying for him. And it just kills me. And it was meant to just kill me. I have some really good friends in my small group that we started this summer, and we're trying to get to know each other better. And, uh, 
And then over the summer, it was just busy and we would miss some weeks. And man, I'm, I'm like, it bothered me to not see them. It frustrated me to not see them. Like I, was, I had some angst over that. And I thought, man, this is getting good. Because I miss it. I'm about to take uh, some guys, invite some guys to do a weekly discipleship with me, 5.30 in the morning, on a Friday morning, every 5.30. It's gonna take us about two years. And, I'm, and we're gonna sit down, we're gonna open up the Bible for the next two years, and we're just gonna try to grow together. And listen, you ain't showing up at 5.30 in the morning unless you wanna grow. <laughs> and I can't wait, I can't wait. This is my question for you though is, where are you actively pushing into the body? and to the community of Christ and the community of the saints so that you can grow. It will take a proactive push into these things. I, Pastor Mark and I share this. I have an absolute angst. I mean, just a keep me up at night, make my stomach sick angst that you won't do that. Because I can't be the, the, the three. I can't be in your circle of three for all of you. I can't be in your circle of 12. I'm still trying to remember your names. Would you wear a stinking name tag, please? I can't do it. What, what I can do is encourage you that life is so much better in that community. And so again and again, I'm gonna stand up here, I'm gonna open the Bible, I'm gonna read it to you, I'm gonna tell you, push into the community, don't run away from it. Take steps into engagement in community, not away from it. The, the fact that I don't have, in this church, that we don't have 100% of our congregation in a small group to me is mind-boggling. Make it happen. Listen to me, listen to me. I get that the American church experience is like coming here and like three people put their hands up and, and praise and all the rest of us kind of sit and listen, it should be like a Taylor Swift concert. No? Have you seen that thing? I mean, they're losing their minds and their voices. And I don't see why Taylor Swift deserves more praise than Jesus. I, if you can make your way to a Taylor Swift concert out of town for a billion dollars, dressing up in costumes, screaming yourself hoarse, it takes an hour to get out of the parking lot, you can get here and push into community in church. You can do it. And for those of you rolling your eyes at Taylor Swift, football season's coming and I've seen y'all. It's worth it. I'm not here to browbeat you. I'm telling you it's worth it. I'm not here to, to, to condemn you, to tell you, oh, I can't believe you're not doing it, to guilt trip you. I'm telling you it's worth it. Take it from somebody that didn't do it, and I have done it, and it's worth it. It won't always happen immediately. It takes time to grow good relationships, and it's worth it. The, the Bible's gonna tell you again and again and again and again that the gospel is so much better than you think it is. That Jesus' love for you is so much better than you think it is. That the community of the saints is so much better than you think it is. Not because it's perfect. Not because it's neat. Not because it's wonderful on Instagram. It's not. Because it's real and it's authentic and it's vulnerable and it's gonna hurt and you're gonna extend grace and you're gonna grow in the process. We're relaunching our groups here over the next week or so, giving you an opportunity to jump back into a group. If, you're, if you've ever thought about leading a group, we have group training tonight. Yes, it might be raining. Yes, you won't melt. You're not the, what is it, Wicked Witch of the West? Most of you. If you've ever wanted to start a group, if you'd lead a group, 
We have group training. We'd love for you to come to the chapel tonight at 4 p.m. We have childcare. If you're not in a group, listen to me. It's worth it. It's worth it. Change your life. Because you can't extend all of the biblical principles of the Bible in isolation. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the church, the holy church, and the communion of saints, God. Thank you for letting us do life together with one another. God, I uh, thank you for the people that are here and that are listening, God, the way that you are working on them and drawing them into a community of saints today. God, I ask that you would uh, irrevocably change people today. Change their lives, change their legacies, change the trajectory of their futures as you put us in contact with one another and we get to extend the gospel to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be up here to pray for you. If you need prayer, come forward. You move as the Lord leads you.